0: Welcome to the I-29 Moo U Dairy Podcast. I-29 Moo University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry.
1: Welcome. On this episode of the I-29 Moo You Podcast, we're going to discuss uh, 2020 hay crops. I'm Fred Hall, Northwest Iowa Extension Dairy Specialist, and I'm joined today by Tracy Erickson and Sarah Bowder. Uh, Sarah, after graduating from South Dakota State University with her undergraduate degree in the spring of 2012, took a job doing soil research. Thus, she found her love for agronomy and started on the path of becoming an agronomist. She obtained her master's degree in agronomy in 2016 and began to working for South Dakota State University Extension as agronomy field specialist. Tracy Erickson comes with a major in dairy production and manufacturing, as well as a master's in human resource management. Most of her career has been spent serving dairy producers and agriculture community through SDSU Extension, focusing on human resource management and safety protocols, quality assurance programs, and dairy and livestock development and profitability. Welcome to the I-29 Moo U Dairy Podcast on a near-perfect haymaking day. We're going to discuss three areas of the hay process today, bale storage, preservation, and sampling. Northwest Iowa, we've been tracking predictive equation of Llf for quality measurements the past few weeks. and last week we saw the majority of fields ready to cut, and the cutters and chompers went out in full force. How's hay looking in your neck of the woods? You
2: know, Fred, I'm in the um, southeast, south-central part of South Dakota here, and we have had some challenging haymaking weather with some storms that have come through, but producers have done a pretty good job this year at trying to get that hay up without getting a rain on it. Um, When we think about 2019, it was sure a challenge, so it definitely beats last year. But there have been some incidents in the season thus far of alfalfa weevil that has caused some early cuttings. And there've been some incidents of very heavy populations of pea aphids in this area. So the weevils and the pea aphids specific to the southeast part of the state have caused some early cuttings um, for the beef producers. For the dairy producers, they might have gotten in before those really got bad since they cut a little earlier. But All in all, most of the hay is looking pretty good at this point.
0: I will reiterate up here, um, we're seeing a lot of similar things happening, and I'm located in central and northeast South Dakota. Hay production has been in full force here. Most of the hay has undergone first cutting already, either put up as haylage since a lot of the hay in this area goes for dairy production and for beef production or being baled up. Like I said, we've had very spotty rains so far this year in 2020. As Sarah stated, it uh, has been a complete opposite of 2019 conditions, which has been a blessing, you might say, for a lot of people. Last year's extreme wet conditions were a real challenge, and this year we've actually had somewhat of a normal spring you might say through the area here and and been able to get hay production put up in a timely and efficient manner and most of the first cutting did or is in process of getting finished up in our area and a majority of of it being put up without um, minimal rain impact.
1: As you mentioned in recent years it's been difficult for many producers to put up quality dry hay. This is forced growers' to consider using inoculants and hay preservatives. Sarah, what do producers need to remember as they use these products?
2: Well, when we're talking about dry hay, uh, meaning, you know, unwrapped, not ensiled bales, so these could be net wrapped, for example, just not plastic wrapped bales. There's a few things to keep in mind when we start to consider inoculants and preservatives and these types of things. Um, and one of them is that the ideal moisture for a small square bill is about 18 to 20 percent. And bales larger than that, so are large rounds that are net wrapped or twine wrapped or large squares, should be about three to five percent drier than that 18 to 20 percent. So when we're putting up hay in the right ranges, it's typically not a huge concern. But like you said, sometimes we've got issues with moisture um, and other preservation concerns. So producers think I should try a preservative or inoculant. And there's some really important things to remember when we do that. And one of them is that these products do not increase the quality of your hay. They help to maintain it if used properly, but they're not going to increase the quality. What you start with is what we have to work with. And I think that's one misunderstanding. But if we have a little higher moisture than ideal, we can consider using one of these products. Um, But we have to remember that if it's really high moisture hay, and we're trying to put it up as, quote, dry hay, if it's over 30%, there's not a whole lot of anything that's going to help us. It's just, you know, generally too wet at that point. So um, bacterial inoculants can oftentimes be questioned, you know, should I use these? There's definitely a wide price range of them. And really the advantages include the chance to reduce or stop mold growth and improve the palatability, um, maintain the quality, and that green color of the hay. But some of the disadvantages that come along with that are the investment in the application equipment. It generally is put on at the baler, so you need to get some application equipment if you don't have it. And the research results for effectiveness in dry hay with inoculants are very inconsistent um, as far as cost analysis goes, and they're much more consistent when we look at anaerobic and siled feeds. Uh, When we talk about preservatives, that's a little bit different. Um, That's again, usually something that's mounted on the baler pickup, so um, we put it on as we're putting up the hay, and the rates do depend a little bit more with preservatives on how wet that hay is. And one of the most common ones in this you know part of the world is propionic acid. So there's also some inconsistent research um, when using propionic acid and, in- and buffered acids uh, in dry hay. There's a few things that people should remember. It's not harmful to animals, but it is corrosive to equipment. So that's why the buffered acids are usually suggested if you're going to use one of these um, just to keep your equipment from from rusting and having all that corrosive material in contact with it. And they've done a pretty good job of creating those. But a few um, things to think about is it can be corrosive and will likely discolor the hay. It won't have that pretty green color, but it does protect your... feed value. Um, So it is good at doing that but again has some erratic results in dry hay just like inoculant does. So we really want to consider that before we invest you know a large amount of money in either one of these. Um, And and to keep in mind like I said they don't necessarily increase the quality of the hay but they help maintain it. Um, Both of them might have some mixed cost analysis benefits but in some cases and studies they have helped people keep um, preserve their, their dry hay. So it's something to think about.
1: Tracy, how is this different when we ensile alfalfa?
2: Well,
0: some of the things we need to remember is that when we ensile alfalfa, that means that we're putting up the alfalfa at a much higher moisture content. So what we're talking about for moisture content then in ensiling is somewhere between that 50 to 65 percent moisture. So typically when it's ensiled as haylage we're on that upper end or as baleage ideally we're talking a moisture between 50 to 60 percent moisture. This uh, ensiling process typically happens within the first 24 hours of cutting and for example if we're going to be putting up baleage those bales are wrapped in plastic. and and put up within the first 12 hours of baling. So as a producer, you're going out there and you're putting up those bales as you would a dry hay bale, wrapping them in either a net wrap, and then as soon as that is done, you're taking and then wrapping them in plastic in that process. So within that process, then, you have a choice to make if you would like to add an inoculant or a preservative to it. There's some pros and cons to think about um, when we are adding uh, inoculants to baleage, bales in particular. Um, one thing to remember is that it's typically not re- recommended if you're going to be using like a lactobacillus type inoculant to a baleage type product because it's very difficult to go in and add or to spray on the inoculants and to get accurate um, application rates to those bales when we're putting up balage. Lactobacillus tends to work better if we're going to be applying it to a halage type product where that product is being chopped as it goes through the, the chopper and then being packed into either a pile or put up in a bag that way for preservation later. So those things to keep in mind. And then also, you know, we need to remember that with the preservatives, like Sarah said, you know, what we're doing with all those products, you know, there's the pros and cons between corrosiveness. um, But mainly, if we're doing a good job in preserving these products, we will essentially probably not need them with fermentation. If we've done a really good job limiting oxygen and getting a good plastic wrap put on around the bales if we're putting up baleage or we've done a good job with haylage in you know getting a accurate chop on the haley and doing a good job of packing and then covering our piles we probably are not going to need to utilize these products but if there's some factors out there that maybe we're on the fringes and we feel that this will enhance and limit mold growth, Um, then producers may look to some of these products to help minimize mold growth um, in there and, you know, enhance, you know, dry matter intakes, limit the mold growth, and put up a better product that livestock will consume then.
1: As we've been talking, the most common method of hay packaging and storage is large round bales stored outdoors. However, proper storage of a high quality product is vital to maintaining value, and it's often overlooked. What do producers need to do to ensure high quality feed at feeding time, Sarah?
2: You know, um, one thing about round bales is that they have a lot of characteristics that can help to limit storage losses. Um, They're round, so we can get them pretty dense and well-packed. And that outer thatch layer can really help to shed precipitation, and and that minimizes the water penetration to the bale and the spoilage loss. Generally speaking, um, and that's what's really important, especially um, with the with the shape of a forage leaf blade. Depending on what forage we've put up, that can really help shed that water. And water seems to be our our biggest nemesis when we're talking about putting up round bales or any kind of dry hay, of course, uh, because that's where our main source of heating and spoilage can come from if we have too much moisture. So grass has that broad, flat leaf that makes a nice thatch. Alfalfa having the smaller leaves doesn't form as nice of a thatch on the outside, but of course, um, we generally have a higher quality bale that we want to protect. So When we think about the characteristics of a round bale, that sounds great in theory, but the trouble is a lot of producers across the Midwest, um, and I'm assuming across probably a lot of the country, are not always thinking about how we can conserve the quality and the weight, the tonnage of those bales after we put them up. We might put up great hay, but if we don't have great storage practices, we can really hurt ourselves. So Tracy and I actually worked with Dr. Kevin Shinners um, from the University of Wisconsin and put together a little demonstration research project um, for a forage field day we held. And Some of our results were very interesting. Um, There's been research projects done on hay storage previously, and much of our results echoed them, but it, it made us interested in the best management practices, essentially, of You know, storing round bales, and I feel that generally speaking, dairy producers who are putting up a more higher quality product and doing a lot more haylage and ensiling are probably more in tune to this type of thing than a lot of our beef producers. And that's not to put them down by any means. Um, We raise beef cattle too, and in this area that I live in, does not have a lot of dairy cattle. Uh, But one thing that's you see a lot of is bales, round bales stored outside. And of course, not everyone has the opportunity to put those bales under roof. But number one thing is if you have the capability to cover a pile of bales that are, of course, properly dry in the first place or put them under roof, that's the best thing we can do to help conserve them. Um, However, understanding the fact that that's not always possible and not everyone has room for something like that. There's a few things to consider when you're trying to store your dry hay brown bales. Um, You want to try not to put them somewhere where there's going to be a lot of shade. You want the sun to naturally hit both sides of the bale throughout the day. So the general recommendation is to orient those rows of bales when they're, you know, butt end to butt end in a north to south orientation. So the rows are running north to south and you want to leave about three to four feet between the rows. And what that does is help the sun as it comes up, you know, in the east and sets sets in the west, it helps hit both sides of the bale and dry them, especially after any type of precipitation. Um, there isn't a general consensus on how tight the bales should be butt end to butt end. So researchers will say you want three to four feet between the rows that are running north to south. When we talk about in between each bale's flat face, um, some research will tell you to put them tightly together to keep the rain and snow away so it can't pack in there. But on the other hand, if we leave a foot to 18 inches between those faces, they have a chance to dry. So there's not a real major consensus on that. um, But we do know some other things that you can do to help yourself if you get them in that row orientation you can try to put them on a slight south facing slope that'll help your water drain away Um, getting them on a well-drained surface can also help whether that's a well-drained soil or something like a rock pad that can help reduce wicking that's usually very helpful too do keep in mind that if you use very small rock that's not something you want of course, in your feed, especially if you're grinding hay or something like that. Um, but just something to help reduce the wicking because round bales are great at wicking up moisture. Um, and then, of course, net wrapping helps. You get that helps promote a good leaf thatch and shed water versus twine wrap bales. Um, it holds the shape of the bale better, which I think a lot of people don't always think about. Not only is it holding the leaves on, but it can hold the shape a little better than twine. Um, that's not to say you can't use twine, but net wrap really does help preserve the quality of the bale much better. And then if you're stacking bales outdoors, this is one of the biggest things to think about. And this is what Tracy and I really looked at in our demonstration. A lot of people don't always consider the orientation of their stack. So I talked about running your rows north to south, but if you're butting bales close together and not leaving space between the rows, they tend to wick up moisture from one another on that round end where they're touching and we saw that in our study another popular stack in south Dakota anyway and probably the midwest is a pyramid stack um, and if you're going to leave those bales in that pyramid stack for long-term storage it is just not ideal the bales at the bottom of the stack wick up moisture and get all the moisture shed from the bales at the top and that was very clear to see in our demonstration as well the top bale actually fared the best and um, the bottom bales in our stack of i believe it was 11 or 12 bales Uh, really did not do well at all. They squatted and they wicked up all the moisture. And this was just in one growing season. This hay was just stacked for a few months. Um, And the last stack I want to mention to really avoid. And I think this, this particular stacking method is done to save space and use as windbreak sometimes. But aside from a windbreak, this should really not be considered on your operation if you can help it is the what we would call the mushroom stack where you put one bale on end on its flat face like a soup can if you will and then you put the other bale the opposite direction on its round face on top of it. Uh, Typically like I said you see that in a windbreak. That bottom bale in our demonstration and you can see this across the countryside is essentially just destroyed by moisture because it doesn't have anything protecting it because that open flat end can absorb all the precipitation and all the runoff from the top bale. So in our demonstration, that was very clear. There was a lot of mold and that bale was basically entirely spoiled on the bottom of that stack. So avoiding that mushroom or soup can orientation is very important. Um, so that's a lot of info, but I think there's just some really basic things producers can do to help themselves preserve that dry hay when they're putting it up. Even if you're a beef producer and you're putting up grinding hay, you still want to preserve the product. Um. If, if folks do have further questions, we will have a publication out called Round Bale Storage Conservation that people can find on our website that might give a little more information and insight into the study that we did.
1: A lot of information. Tracy, let's boil it down to maybe the top two management practices for protecting round bales that producers really have to pay attention to.
0: You know, if I had to put it in my, I'll call it my top probably two to three, they're going to take the time and make the investment to put up those bales really consider protection from the environment. You want to take and maximize the quality of that product lifelong um, until you utilize it. So obviously, as Sarah mentioned, getting it under roof is number one, you know, getting it out of the elements will help maximize the amount of spoilage and shrink loss if possible. If that's not possible and you don't want to make the investment in putting your bales under roof, then consider taking and utilizing some of the new technologies that are out there now, the net wrap and then and or utilizing if possible and we're seeing a lot more of this across the countryside now, putting a plastic wrap around those bales for long-term preservation and a lot of producers are doing this even on dry bales to help help conserve and take and minimize the amount of loss occurring due to either shrink or storage losses from the elements. So those two things right there, you know, will definitely help as far as to enhance the amount of viable product that you have left at the end of the day.
1: Very good. Thank you. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Producers are trying to optimize performance of over dairy cows with forage-based rations. Without knowing the quality of the forage that we're feeding, it becomes difficult to, to balance the ration and ensure the animals getting the proper nutrition. Sarah, how do producers need to go about collecting a good sample out of their round bales?
2: If we have round bales, one of the best things we can do, like you said, Fred, is to take a sample and figure out what we have there because we can't always assume that every hay lot has the same quality. So sampling is typically very inexpensive and a great thing to do to find out, you know, what we have on farm. So especially if you're purchasing hay, keep that in mind before you purchase it. So if you're testing um, a round bale, The easiest way to do it is to get a hold of a core sampler um, or a hay probe. If you don't have one um, in South Dakota, our regional extension offices carry them and you can check them out uh, for free. Or um, there are I'm sure um, some of the labs may provide them as well, and they're also on the market. So feel free to contact us to get a hold of one. But essentially, what you want to do is lot your hay. So for most people, typically, that's by cutting. So if we want, for example, to test our first cutting, we would call that lot one. And we would want to go out there with our hay probe and a few other things. We might need a bucket, um, a plastic bag to put our sample in, and a marker to label the bag. Pretty simple. And your hay probe should be placed on the side um, and coring toward the center of the round bale. So when we're talking about a round bale, meaning you want to go through the layers of thatch. So you're actually probing it into the the round side of the bale. And there's different types of probes. Some of them you can use a drill. Some of them are by hand. Just depends on how much elbow grease you want to use that day. Um, But you'll need to core several random bales within a lot. You want about probably eight to 10 large bales you want to make sure you're coring per lot with a total of at least 20 cores so that might mean you're taking two per bale but you want to cover at least you know eight to ten bales to make sure you're getting a nice uniform sample across the lot and you need that total volume of at least 20 cores overall um, so we have a nice sample to send to the lab and when you're done um, you just combine those samples in a pail mix them together and put them in that plastic bag and label it. And there's several labs across the region that do forage testing that can check that via uh, wet chemistry or NIR analysis just to give you some feed value numbers. Um, If you have a a grinding pile, let's say you already ground your hay, you can just pull those samples from the pile by taking handfuls in different areas of about 10 locations, um, getting about two gallons in that case of ground forage. Same thing, you just mix them together, put them in a bag and sample them by lot. Um, So that's the main thing with round bales. Um, When you get into ensiled forages, the sampling procedures are not a whole lot different than our our ground hay pile. Um, We wanna take some samples in the morning and probably at the evening feeding time and make sure we're pulling it off the face of the pile or the bunker first and then sampling it off the ground for, for safety, um, being the number one thing to avoid avalanches. But we're basically grab sampling and mixing together as well, much like we did with the ground hay. Um, so sampling is, is pretty simple, and it's definitely worth the investment of the test, in my opinion, to make sure we're getting a good ration to our animals.
1: Wow, we've talked about a lot of great information. Tracy, where can producers find other resources that are available to them?
0: Sure, Fred. And these resources that we've mentioned today here that Sarah and I went through are available on our Extension webpage here at extension.sdstate.edu. We are also referencing them on our I-29 Moo University webpage at dairy.unl.edu forward slash i 29 moo university Like Sarah mentioned, the fact sheet on round bale storage conservation will be posted shortly and up on that webpage. There are several articles that are available, including the importance of proper forage sampling. And in addition to that, there are links in that article referencing the video on forage hay sampling that is also available to watch and to show you how to go about and properly sample a forage bale. In addition to that, there is another article on understanding the hay inoculants and preservatives on dry hay I've also put up an article on preventing unwanted bailer fires. So just some different articles that are going up. In addition, you will see other articles continue to be placed up there on our Extension webpage at extension.sdstate.edu. If you have any other information or questions, please feel free to reach out to Sarah Bowder or myself, Tracy Erickson, and we can help get them answered.
1: Thank you very much, Tracy and Sarah. Great pointers on bringing topics throw you hay to the bunk. We'd like to thank the listeners for joining us on this episode of I-29 moo You Dairy Podcast. Be sure to check the episode notes for links to additional resources, the ones mentioned on this topic, and information about our sponsors. Thank you until we have the next podcast. I-29 moo You is an equal opportunity provider for the full Non discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.